Uh, over the years, a lot of different influences uh, have been in my life about when it comes to money. Probably you could say the same sort of story, different family of origin. Like for my family of origin, we didn't talk about money at all. I never knew how much anybody had, what they did with their money. Uh, I just knew that when I wanted some, I would ask for it. But otherwise, I didn't know much about money. We just kind of avoided the subject. So that's an unspoken influence in my life. Uh, of the spoken kind, there's been a lot of different workshops and stuff, but probably uh, Andy Stanley has uh, done so many different things on money that I've listened to that's been pretty influential. So I'm going to borrow quite a bit from him this morning. And one of the things he talks about is the story of his niece named Elena. It's quite an interesting story. Uh, I want to share it with you. When Elena was five years old, five years old, she joined the swim team. And for the next four years, she was part of her local swim team down in Atlanta, Georgia. And she loved the swim team. She loved meeting others from other places at their swim meets. Uh, she loved everything about the swim team. She liked to swim. She just loved it. <laughs> the only problem, well, some would call it a problem, was that she always came in last place. In fact, she didn't even seem to try, it looked like. But she was just never that competitive. Uh, so during her fourth year, nine years old now, right? Five plus four, nine years old. She's getting ready for a swim meet, and her mom kind of has this little heart-to-heart -heart talk with her. She says, you know, honey, I want you to, this is going to be your day. I want you to go out there and give it all. I want you to win the race today. And all of a sudden, Elena's eyes got really big. And she said to her mom, it's a race? <laughs> I thought we were going to meet people. Why? Because it's a swim meet, not a swim race, right? And her mom, probably like all of us have had at that moment, had one of these uh, moments where she thought, oh, I'm a terrible parent, you know. All for four years, she didn't know she was going to a race, you know. And so now there's a ton of lessons that we can learn from this. There's just a lot to learn from this. But here's what I want to focus on today. From Elena's perspective, in one moment, kind of in a twinkling of an eye, she had this aha experience and everything changed for her. All of a sudden, things that didn't make sense now made sense. Like why there were lanes in the pool. Who cares which direction you go, right? Or why she was on a team. Or why the people in the crowds were cheering. The crowds were cheering so loud. Or why did they give medals at the end of the meet? You know, so now all of a sudden this new knowledge made more sense. And her perspective changed. She saw things differently. When she saw the world of swim meet differently, then she began to behave differently. And she won the race that day. In fact, she went on more than anyone else on her team and won in the finals and the championships. Now, I said there's a lot of multiple applications and we're not going to get into all of it uh, right now. And I'm sure that you've got several things going through your mind right now too. But isn't it true? Isn't it true of all of us that when we have these aha experiences in our lives, isn't it true that all of a sudden something 
is revealed to us, it, it just, we begin to see the world actually, actually is, not the way we thought it was. We see things as it actually is, not the way we thought it was. Our perspective changes. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says it this way. He says, we see the world not as it is, but as we're conditioned to see it. I think he's just quoting Pavlov there, but right, that's kind of the same thing. And what this means is that the way we see the world, the way we see the world, or the way we've been conditioned to see the world, could be holding us back. It could be holding us back. Our perspective on things could be the very reason we don't move forward or have vision for something. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, very, uh, quite a bit of the New Testament, says that we need to renew our minds. He's, he's talking about this is what Jesus wants. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 4. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Every one of us are holding on to views and perspectives that could be holding us back. We all know that that's true. We don't need Stephen Covey to tell us that. But like Elena the swimmer, we act the way we're supposed to act based on how we understand things. That's pretty common sense, right? We seem to have either never been taught or somehow have forgotten the way of Jesus is what Paul is saying. He says we should renew our minds, either learn about Jesus or remember what you have forgotten. Paul says is to, we need to see the world the way God sees things. So that when, listen to this, so that when God asks us to do something, it makes sense. Learning to see relationships as God sees it. Learning to see our vocation as God sees it. And for the next five weeks, learning to see money and our possessions and everything that we have the way God sees it. So when he asks us to do something with it, our money, it makes sense to us. Let me put it differently. When we see as God sees, we're more inclined to do as God says. Now, a lot of you know that one of my favorite passages from the Bible is Luke 15. Luke 15 is these three stories of Jesus telling the listeners how God values people. That's what the story of Luke 15 is. So there's the story of the, the lost sheep, then there's the story of the lost coin, and then there's the story of the lost son, which we've renamed the prodigal son. If you've ever been to my office, if you've not, come take a visit. I have artwork on every one of those three stories in my office. It's, it's just a story that I just, uh, it means a lot to me. And at the end of Jesus' story, uh, the guys that he's talking to that he really wants to catch on to are kind of checking out. They don't really agree with Jesus' perspective on how God values them. Okay, so they didn't necessarily like the way he was portraying God. So they're beginning to walk away. And before they can get too far, Jesus, the master teacher, tells them another story to kind of grab them back in, to pull them back in to his attention. Different story. He starts his story. So remember, they're walking away, and he starts his story like this. There was a rich man who had a manager, which they probably were rich. So they're like, oh, okay. 
And charges were brought against this manager that he was wasting the rich man's possessions. And so they just kind of stopped, you know, and kind of leaned in a little bit. Because probably all of them were wealthy. And probably all of them had, at some point in time, suspected one of their servants not managing their money properly. Or somehow stealing from them. And so he has their attention. He's got their attention. And this is what he says to them. And this is what he's saying to us too as well. Let's look at it. It's in Luke 16, verse 2. And he, he being the master, called the dishonest manager and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So the rich man calls his manager in because he's realized that things weren't going well and the guy had been robbing from him somehow. It wasn't very honest. He tells him, bring the books in. We're going to kind of get everything figured out and then you're fired. You're done. So he continues with the story. And the manager said to himself, hmm, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. So he knows that he's kind of this proud, white-collar kind of guy. He doesn't have a callus on his hand. Maybe he's a bit out of shape. Kind of indicates he's out of shape, right? So he's got a little bit of time on his hand here before he's got to bring the books in. He thinks, what will I do? So listen to what he does. Verse 4. I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their house. Okay? He keeps going. Verse 5 and 6. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Okay, take your bill. Sit down. Quickly. Write 50. You see what he's doing? You see what he is not only doing, he's messing up his boss <laughs> because he's just been fired. But he's also networking. He's, he's doing favors. Favors that he will ask to be returned to him in the future. So then he brings in another. Look at verse 7. He said to another, how much do you owe? He said, well, I owe 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, sit down, take your bill, write 80. And I could imagine that both of those guys are kind of blown away and say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hey, hey, listen, if there's ever anything you need, Come see me. I got your back. You know, you, I can imagine that kind of conversation going on. You know, now remember, in the crowd, now listen to the story of these rich guys, and they are starting to fume. I mean, they're getting red in the face, and they're thinking, wait a minute, this is wrong. How, how dare you, Jesus? You're supposed to be the manager of someone else's money, and he was not only caught mismanaging, but now he's given it away. And how dare you misuse and mismanage what wasn't even yours in the first place? And I wonder at this point, Jesus is starting to kind of smile a little bit. Because he, 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 he knew how they're rich and Minds thought he knew they had stuff and he knew he was about to teach them God's perspective. He was about to teach them how God saw their money. So you can imagine the next thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is quite surprising to them. Look at verse 8. The master commended 
the dishonest manager. Why? Because he had acted honestly? No. Because he had done what is right? No. What does it say? Let's keep going. The manager committed the dishonest manager. Why? For his shrewdness. And you can imagine they are dumbfounded. Maybe you're dumbfounded right now. You know, it's like the rich man is, is getting a, is, is patting the dishonest man on the back saying, wow, way to go, big guy. Well done. Hey, right. You had a little bit of time. And so you, you, you took the opportunity to secure your own future. <laughs> you're smarter than I thought. Now, at this point in the parable, the story that Jesus is telling is over, all right? So he's, he's got their attention. The story has drawn them in, much like the story of Elena drew you in this morning, right? And now he wants to teach them something. He's about to tell them and tell us how God the Father views every single dollar, every single thing that comes our way, the things that we call our own, all right? Listen to what he says. Back to verse 8. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the people of the light. And when we first read this, we're thinking, why do you do this, Jesus? Just tell us what you want to tell us, you know. Why do you talk like this? So here's what he's saying. He's saying those who don't follow God or don't have any belief in life after life, those guys, those gals are more shrewd in dealing with each other than those who do follow God. He's not done, though. He's not done. He goes on. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, so this is kind of like a command, if you will. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. I'll explain that. So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And maybe we're still thinking, what? Wait, what are you saying? Jesus you're so confusing right now. So he is saying that the wealth we have is not going to last. You can't take it with you, right? You've heard that before. You can't take it with you to the next life. So use the wealth, the stuff that we have now in such a way that it will be honored in heaven. Jesus is saying that I want you to use your money in such a way that when you die and you step into eternity, there will be people there welcoming you because of what you did with what you had. Wow. So according to Jesus, God sees my money, God sees your money, our possessions as a tool he isn't saying the bad manager is now good. Don't misunderstand. He's not commending dishonesty. He's just using the shrewdness of the manager to make his point. And the point that he was taking something that wasn't his. Think money, right? Think money. He's taking something that wasn't his, something that's not ours. Think money. It belongs to God. He was taking something that wasn't his and using it to secure a future. Use your money in such a way so that when you die and you step into eternity, there will be people there welcoming you because of what you did with what you had. So maybe the question isn't what will I have to show for it? What will I have to show for it? The question is who 
will I have to show for it? Now, I want to pause and say that I've never been around a group of people who get this more than you do here at ECC. In all the years I've been in ministry, I've never been around a group of people who get this. You take your money, your, your house, your gardening equipment, your talents, your giftedness. You see all of that as a tool for God. You get this better than anybody I've ever been around. You do. Some of you have a lot. Some of you have a little. Some of you have a little bit in the middle. <laughs> but you're the ones who send kids to camp. You're the ones who are bringing refugees to Canada. We, we just prayed this morning for some folks in Sudan or Africa. You're the ones loading up your trucks and your vans and taking furniture to families in the neighborhood. You're the ones giving people rides to the doctors that can't drive themselves. I heard of just this week of two people visiting someone in the hospital who's, that we prayed for this morning, and he doesn't even come to our church here anymore. But... We know and care for Nick. And so people have been going and visiting him. You're the ones wiping graffiti off the side of our building on a Sunday morning and slapping on a coat of paint to cover it up. You get this. You do. You get this. You know how to take your possessions and turn them into something that changes people's lives. And it's not just money. It's everything that we possess. I remember when I was just uh, 20 years old, I had spent uh, six to months or so in Indonesia. And uh, just kind of a season of my life. And all I really had other than my clothes was my guitar. And so when we would go to these rural villages and places and, and, and uh, we would sing and play our guitars and stuff, the guys that were there had never seen a guitar as nice as mine. And they wanted to pick it up and they wanted to play it and they, and they wanted to, you know, and every time they did, I thought, oh, he's going to scratch it. He's going to drop it, you know. And, and this, this missionary that I was with saw me and maybe heard me say something and kind of had a little heart-to-heart -heart with me and, and asked me, would you be willing to give your guitar away while we're here? And I said, no, no way. I'm not giving my guitar away. And we talked about it a little bit, and I just thought he was crazy. But then the next week or so, I had my own aha experience, and my perspective changed. God began to work on my heart about my guitar. And at 20 years old, you know, I had very few possessions. But that guitar was my prized possession. And so right then and there, God allowed me to see this from his perspective. And I decided that each time someone would pick up my guitar, I would just kind of look away. And if they scratched it, they scratched it. If they, if they broke it, if they took it home, that was okay. At least I thought that, Okay. And they did. They scratched it. Uh, they dent it has a dent in the side of it to this day from someone who dented it when I was there. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying to be foolish with your possessions, to not take care of the things that you have. That's not what I'm saying. But for me, it was a heart issue that needed to be addressed. It wasn't about caring for my possession. It was about holding on to things a little bit too tightly. And, and when people get this, and you here at ECC, you get this. But if, you, if it's just now becoming real to you, you get this perspective that our possessions are a tool, that they're on loan to us from God, you see things differently. It's no longer a swim meet for you. It's a swim race. You see that your possessions are a tool. But Jesus isn't finished. 
I know you're thinking, I wish he was, but he's not finished. Look at verse 10. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Kind of sounds something like I would read in a fortune cookie, but he goes on. One who is faithful in very little also is faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. He goes on. Look at verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Now, it's not the wealth that is bad. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's the unrighteous attitude towards the pursuit of money that he's talking about here. Okay, so if you have then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Okay, all right. So now Jesus has given us a clue, isn't he? He's contrasting the unrighteous wealth with true riches. Aha, I see where you're going here. The question is really is what is what or who is who here? So we're getting close to what Jesus is saying, but we're still not sure what you're talking about, Jesus. So he goes on, okay? And everybody's leaning in. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus is saying your money, your stuff, your possessions. It's not just a tool, but it's a test. God sees our money as a test. You see, he's going to give us a little bit of his riches and see what we'll do with it. In God's economy, everything is his. And anything we have is on loan from him. Now, some of you may have the attitude that, hey, you know, wait a minute, time out here. I've worked hard for what I've got. That wasn't just handed down to me on some silver platter. I worked hard for it. That's not how God sees it. God sees it all as his. And he wants us to see that this is his, and he wants to see what we will do with what he gives us because it's not even ours. We leave it all here, right? We don't take it with us. Maybe you've heard the saying, there's no U-Haul behind a hearse. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. <laughs> Now, sometimes you look at your little bit and you look at someone else's little bit. And it seems like they have a lot of bit, you know, and then maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you can see that you have more than someone else. But from God's perspective, it's all a little bit. It's all a little bit. I mean, he's the creator. He created everything. He's he's the one who holds it all together. Everything that ever was, everything that ever will be is his. And from his perspective, our little bit ain't so much. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit of this and a little bit of time. And then we go on to be with him for a lot of time. But no matter how little or how much we have, God wants us to use it for eternal purposes. All right? God sees money as a test, and how we manage it, what we assume, reflects our own devotion to whom it actually belongs, to the one to whom it actually belongs. How we manage our stuff speaks directly to our devotion to God. Now, 
At the risk of misunderstanding Jesus, let me just say he is not, he is not saying we should not invest for our future. We see consistently through Scripture that is something we should do. And if, if you've started to think, oh gosh, I need to go home and cash in my RSP or, or give it all away, you're still not understanding Jesus. All right? And if you and I need to have a coffee or lunch this week, take me up on it and let's, let's unpack this more. If you think that's what he's saying, that's not what he's saying. Okay? So one last thing. And then Jesus finishes up teaching, and this is where we're going to close this morning. Look at verse 13. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And when Jesus says we cannot serve two masters, that's what he says at the beginning, it's easy to consider that one of the masters is God. That's an easy one. But maybe it, you have never considered that the other master in our life is money. I mean, if I'm to understand Jesus correctly, and I think I do, the number one competitor for God is money. The number one thing that gets in our way of our devotion from God to God is money. This is why Jesus speaks about it more than almost any other topic he talks about. This is why throughout the New Testament you will hear about this. And you will hear about greed and generosity and selfishness. And these topics are spoken of often throughout the New Testament because they're in competition with God. Now maybe this news to you. Maybe you just realized that it's a swim race, not a swim meet. Maybe you just had an aha moment. Or maybe you've known this. Maybe this is like, oh, I could have given that sermon. Can I knew this stuff? But you're struggling with it. And for some of us, like Elena, it's an aha moment. For some of us, we're all wired differently. For some of us, it's, it's, it's figuring this out over, over time. It's kind of a process for us. But when you begin to see your money, when you recognize that it's a swim race, not a swim meet, when you begin to see your money the way your heavenly father sees it, then you will be free to serve him in all areas of your life. Remember what I said when I started about 25 minutes ago. We are people who are to be regularly renewing our minds. Regularly. And when we see as God sees, we're more inclined to do as God says. When we see as God sees, we're more inclined to do as God says. The question is, the question is, will we choose to see our money, our possessions, our own personal talents as God sees it? Now, there's a prayer I have for us. And each week at the end of the each of the messages of the five weeks, we're going to end in this prayer. Uh, we've put the prayer uh, on our sermon series page on our website if you want to see it printed out or you want to look at it more. Uh, but if you can't pray this prayer, just read it. Just listen to it this morning. Begin to ask God, Lord, what do you need to do in me so that I can pray this prayer? I'm going to throw it up on the screen. I'm going to let you just kind of look at it for a bit, kind of soak in the prayer. And then we will pray it together, those of us who can. Again, it's on our website. If you want to think about it throughout the week, go to the message page for this sermon series, and it's on that message page. But I'm going to throw it up on the screen and let you look at it, and then we'll read it together.